0: Yeah, fighting Balrogs and dragons. My, my friends fight just lots of them. Just killing Balrog after Balrog and dragon after dragon. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it really. It's perfect.
1: <laughs> well, up a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast and I ask him what you got. He said, I'll start up with some talking, and some movie clips, some popcorn, fighting, fantasy explorations, and some groundness exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching, and some blind unboxing. full-month or movie marathon, sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, Contest and the portion, you know it's all about games. That's said, slow down, let's just start with the name.
2: It's the Nerds
3: RPG Variety
1: Podcast. the other jason hello everyone welcome to the nerds rpg variety cast i'm your host jason and i'm happy that you're here today today we have our role master retrospective a panel of six different podcasters are going to talk about their experiences with iron crown enterprise products over the years primarily role master and middle earth role playing that's MURP to you and me rusty but they also touch on some of the other products I should give a couple disclaimers here, and then we'll launch into the actual meat of the episode. So initially, I really wanted to have a roundtable discussion with lots of to and fro. That was unrealistic due to the time zones the different podcasters live in. We just weren't able to get it together. So instead, what I have is I'm going to ask a question, and then you'll hear the answers from each of the six podcasters, and then I'll ask another question. So that's the format. That is solely my fault. Not that of my participants, but I think there's lots of good information, lots of neat nuggets there in the answers, and it's well worth your time to listen. This is a long podcast. I had the choice of trying to break it up or release six individual episodes, and I decided just to release it all at once. As Che Webster recently said, you guys all download these on Podcatchers. You can hit pause or stop and pick it up again. I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but it's just easier to put it out in this two hour hunk and one piece as opposed to breaking it up so that's laziness and again that's 100 on me the host and should not reflect negatively at all on my panelists so let's talk about the panelists for a second we have in the order you're going to hear them not necessarily in the order of importance because of course they're all equally important the first panelist you're going to hear from is joe who does the hindsightless podcast and also is the gm for the popular wheel and woe actual play podcast which was the first Homebrew Pathfinder 2 podcast to actually make it on the air. You'll hear Joe talk about accessibility issues later. If you're not familiar with Joe, he has vision issues and he has to use special aids to be able to see and and use the products. So that's why he mentions that. The next podcast you're gonna hear from is Barry of the Shadow of the GM podcast. Barry is relatively new to podcasting, but not to gaming. And Barry is also the reason If you normally listen to podcasts sped up, I would recommend you try this at regular speed first, because Barry naturally talks about two times the speed of a normal human. Next, we have Che Webster of Roleplay Rescue. Roleplay Rescue has been around for a while now. It's a podcast whose intent is to get people that have left gaming back into gaming. And Che also runs an after-school D and D program at his school. He's a teacher, and he has a program where he provides rule books and all for students, all very good stuff. After Che, we're going to hear from Rob from the Down in a Heap podcast, who broadcasts from beautiful Minneapolis. Rob has been playing for many, many years and has some great insights. After Rob, we have Shandy Andy of the Unguarded Treasure B-52 podcast, Shandy Andy can claim a number of things. I think maybe the most interesting to some degree is the fact that he's been part of a 30-year-long Aftermath campaign. Yes, the old Fantasy Games Unlimited Aftermath. He and his group from college have been playing that for 30 years. Isn't that amazing? And finally, we're going to close out with Minion, also known as Rob, but we're calling him Minion in this Episode to not confuse with the other Rob. His podcast is Confessions of a Wee Timorous Spooshi. and he is actually living in Japan. So we have people now. I, I didn't mention where everybody else lives. Joe is in Seattle. The balance of the panelists all live in the UK. So ultimately, what we break down to are the American and the UK perspective of these games. So even though we have people living in Japan and whatnot, you know, ultimately when they played these games, they were either America or the UK. Okay. The other thing I want to put, point out really quickly is Iron Crown Enterprises has gone through a number of iterations through the years. I'm not going to go through all their history. You can go to their website and read all about it. You can go to Wikipedia and read about it. But Iron Crown Enterprises is a great company. They've always put out great products. Some of my earliest gaming memories involve their products. And even up to today, I'm very happy to say that they have have given me permission you you'll notice the the clip art for this episode is their logo they gave me express permission to use it and I very much appreciate that and want to thank them for that there is a link to their website in the show notes a few more quick disclaimers and we'll launch into the interviews. Two of the panelists due to technical difficulty, that technical difficulty being Jason forgot to hit the record button two of the panelists had to do the interview twice and that was Rob and Shandy Andy. You'll notice their sections may seem shorter than the rest, and that's because they're doing it a second time. So I apologize to them for that. And if you feel that maybe it's a little uneven compared to the rest, or or they they don't have as much to say, that's all on me for making them do it twice. I also want to point out that any discrepancies in what the panelists say and the actual rules or the facts are are just an effect of this is a game they played 30 years ago. And they're going off their memories. You know, I I'm not going to go in and correct any anything that's wrong or correct any any rules issues. J- just accept that people are running off their memory. And you know, they all love this game. We all would recommend you check this game out. One thing, you know, Shandy and he talks about the box set he has and the lack of indexing. You, you know, he I'm pretty positive from looking at the dates and everything that he has a second edition box set. I and I don't know. I. The, my rule books, my Role Master rule books are dated 89, 1989, and they do have indexes. Perhaps the earlier ones didn't. I, I no longer have older copies, so I don't know. I was introduced to Iron Crown Enterprises through MERP, through the Middle Earth Role Playing. And then we bought Spell Law to supplement that and eventually got the Role Master products to supplement MERP and, and transitioned over to, well, we, we kind of intermixed and and were loosey-goosey with the different games. But one thing my other panelists don't mention, during that time, Iron Crown Enterprise, now this was an earlier iteration of the company, but they didn't just do role-playing games. Che Webster does mention a little bit about a card game he vaguely remembers. That was probably the collectible card game that they did for Middle Earth in 95, I think. But they also did board games. I had Battle of Five Armies. Board game a fellowship of the ring board game a lonely mountain board game I, in fact i have the three of those i still own those three but that was right around when merp started you know those are neat games lonely mountains kind of like dave McGarry's dungeon but a little more complicated the other thing they did that was interesting is they did mid they did what they called tolkien quest or middle earth quest books and these were basically fighting fantasy books not using the fighting fantasy system but that were it was a you know, choose your own adventure style book where a paragraph book with numbered paragraphs, you make a decision and go to a certain paragraph number. But it had an RPG system bolted on where you'd roll dice and do all that. And they were a lot of fun. I I had a number of those. They did all kinds of different products through the years, but primarily we're talking about the role-playing products here today. Che makes a nod towards their cyberspace game. He talked about their cyberpunk system. That was cyberspace. Which is kind of a simplified version of Space Master, kind of how MERP was a simplified version of Rollmaster. The only other thing I guess I'll mention, just really quickly, different iterations. You had Rollmaster First Edition, which kind of turned into Second Edition around '84. They were pretty interchangeable. Rollmaster Standard System came out in '94. Rollmaster Fantasy Roleplaying '99. Harp, I think 2003 is when Harp first appeared, and Harp is kind of a different game, but you'll hear Che Webster talk about that. And they are still out there, like I say, and its they're not just selling PDFs of the old games. They're working on a unified role master system. You, you'll see it on their website is RMU, Romeo Mike Uniform. And that's coming to fruition. They're, they're getting close to that being ready to publish. And I'm very excited for it. So I think that's all the background I want to give. Like I say, you can hop on the internet and easily research Iron Crown, easily research all these products. So I'm not going to go in depth into them, but I did want to give you a couple quick highlights there. So with that said, I'm going to launch into the interview itself. So like I say, I'm going to ask a question, the panelists in order, and I say their name before their answer. So you know who's talking. They're going to give their answer to those questions. And and that'll pretty much be the episode. After it's done, I'm just going to let the episode play out. So thank you for joining me. I know it's a long episode, and I appreciate your patience, but like I say, I do think some of these nuggets are worth it. A couple of thanks are in order. I want to thank all my panelists. They're all wonderful. I recommend you go check their shows out. There are links to their shows in the show notes. I want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to this show. If you have any feedback or comments for me, you can leave me a message on the Anchor app. You can email me at nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com or if you're on the discord you can reach me on the audio dungeon discord and again i want to thank iron crown enterprises for letting us use their logo and for still being there and still having these amazing products available to the public today with that said on with the show how long have you been in the hobby and can you give us a quick overview of your experience joe
2: Totally, man. So I've been playing RPGs pretty much, I mean, for as long as I can remember. I started in the mid-80s and played up to uh, the mid-90s, then took quite a long hiatus when I, you know... Got to be like a senior in high school, then went away to college and all that stuff. And then I recently, well, recently, so about a decade ago, about 10 years ago, I got back into the hobby by playing Pathfinder, the first edition. And from there, it's been, you know, it reignited my love for the hobby uh, about almost two years ago now i started uh my own actual play podcast with a group of my friends where we started the uh first ever homebrew actual play of pathfinder second edition called Wheel or woe it's wheel w-e-a-l and yeah from there i found a bunch of the people on anchor fell in love with the anchor podcasting community and the rest as they say is history man Barry.
4: Well, I've been gaming now for, I think it's coming on to about 27 years now. So it's been a fairly long time. I know there's there's a few out there in the community that have been gaming for considerably longer than that. But to me, it certainly feels like a long time. And I mean, I came into the hobby in the early 90s, memory serves me, and been gaming off and on since then. I did the usual where I went to university and kind of dropped out for a bit, came back um, around about the time D&D 3.5, or third edition as it was, first of all, came out and got back into it again for a little bit. Then sort of stopped a bit when i moved to manchester so from scotland to england and then picked it up again with some players then, and I've kind of been gaming since then and you know bounce through different various systems i'm not just a, a D player i mean i played everything played a lot of call cthulhu some other things as well so you know it's a fair amount of experience i like i like to like many others to collect and hoard rpgs and sort of you know sift through them all even the millions i've never run that i've got so you know fair amount of experience in different sort of game systems and playing and running lots of different different systems
5: okay
6: Okay, I started Wargaming when I was six in 1977. I think I started role-playing around about 80-ish, 81, Well, involved in that. I don't quite remember, to be honest with you, because I was getting with friends. I think it was Traveller first. I think um, I first game I owned was RuneQuest 2nd Edition, but the first game I played, I think, was Traveller with my mate Daniel around his house. Um, we rolled up characters. I remember it quite distinctly about like rolling up the characters and getting going. Um, So we're talking, I've been doing this for, what, 40 years, something like that. Um, You know, I'm I'm about to hit 50, so I've been certainly playing at least 40 of those years, um, possibly a bit longer. And yeah, through the 80s, played in high school with my friends daily, and we played a lot of different games over a a period. We settled, actually, interestingly, we settled with Rollmaster by about 85, I think, through 89. So it's probably the longest single game that we played. Um, and then eighty nine I went to uni and essentially, although I was still very much like reading and thinking about and and you know involved in the hobby in that sense, two things stopped. One was active play, stopped because didn 't have a group, and the second thing that stopped was I stopped buying things because i did 't have any money. I was a student. so I rejoined the hobby a kind of a little bit in ninety four when I got my job, my first job with games workshop. But because I was working for Games Workshop and role-playing was very much frowned on at that time, um, I was very much underground. Um, and I wasn't playing a game until moved to Nottingham. I moved to Nottingham HQ to do sort of Games Day and all of the other things I went on to do with with Games Workshop in um, about 98. Uh, so in 1998, I really came back to the hobby. I started playing at Nottingham Games Club. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I've been playing say, in my house since 1999 with... Yeah, know a couple of the same gamers all the way through 21 years although i think only one of them is truly from that or unless you count my wife <laughs> truly from that period
7: rob sure i started playing tabletop role-playing games in 1981 with uh, the mold basic set i've had some gaps in my gaming some pretty one really big gap and another smaller one and uh But I've pretty much been gaming ever since then, you know, minus five years here or there. Most of my time has been spent as a DM, and the vast majority of my time gaming was with Dungeons & Dragons or some iteration thereof.
5: Shandy Andy.
3: Okay, it's the best part of 40 years, I think. It was, if I remember rightly, it was 1981 when I first started role-playing. That was with Dragon Quest First Edition. And the first one I bought was D&D BX, which is how I'm dating it to 1981 because uh, I think it was released early, early that year, and it was the summer when I uh, acquired the box set. I played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 1st Ed, and Call of Cthulhu 2nd Ed, which was the box set. Uh, and all of that was while I was at school. And then I left for Polytechnic and picked up on RuneQuest 2nd Edition there uh, and played that really for about the next five years. And the only other game I can remember Play well, the two games I can remember playing in that was we played quite a lot of Call of Cthulhu, Third Ed, which was a hardback book, um, but we also did play some Middle Earth. I can remember playing that right towards the back end of the 80s, if I remember if I recall rightly. Uh, and then Shadowrun around about 1991, whenever it was released, I think we we played that for about 12 18 months, and then we moved into Rollmaster, if I remember rightly, and onto GURPS to the late 1990s, and then effectively I had a break for about 15 years or so, where all we used to do is meet up once or twice a year with the guys from Poly and play Aftermath, and that, that's that campaign that we're still playing to this day, um, and it's, you know, almost 30 years old now. But since I got back in the hobby, Pathfinder First Ed, D&D Fifth Ed, Black Hack, Old School Essentials, and RuneQuest Garanthra have been the main games that I've played. The latter two I've uh, GM'd and the others I've just been a player.
0: Many on. Yeah. So how long I've been in the hobby? Well, I, I started really playing in about 1984 and I got into the game. I got into role-playing through uh, fighting fantasy game books, which is quite similar to many other people of my age uh, who grew up in the UK at that time. And then uh, about a year later, probably eight, yeah, no, about the winter of 84, I got the red box, um, the basic uh, Dungeons and Dragons red box. And I was introduced into the rules by my cousin, probably a, a couple of months after that. Who was a he was a few years older than me and was at university and actually played in a D and D club at uni. So he he got kind of uh, gave me my first game, but it wasn't. After that, I didn't do anything until um, I moved schools to secondary school, which is about age eleven. So that must have been eighty. Oh, no, 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 10, 10. So 84, 85, I moved schools and I joined uh, the D&D club at school, which was mostly Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but other games as well. But yeah, during this, so how long, sorry to get back to the question, how long have you been playing? I I actually stopped playing around after about 10, 11 years. So I stopped in around 93, but I did continue playing through computer role-playing games, particularly, um, what was that one from... DND 1 I think it was the third edition I uh, never went nights and that also they had a few expansions on that and also you could play it online and because you can play online it's basically and as a game it's it's basically 24 hours <laughs> 7 days a week so really upset my wife and uh, damaged my family life playing that so again I took a bit of a break from from gaming on that side until I don't know I probably a few years back when I, I started to playing Skyrim and uh, then I got fully back into the paper based tabletop role playing last year so I think it was last year 2019 two th- yeah beginning of 2019 I probably started to get into it around 2018 end of 18 and, and of course that was uh, fifth edition at first um, but I ended up Going back to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons very quickly because I wanted to run my own game and I didn't feel comfortable with all the sort of complicate, complicated <laughs> rules that fifth edition seemed to have suddenly introduced. So I don't know how many years that is, but yeah, I started, what, 30, uh, I'm 46, so yeah, 36 years ago I started and uh, sort of it's been uh, off and on, but uh, well over 10, I guess, well over 10, yeah.
1: When did you first come across an Iron Crown Enterprise product,
2: Joe? So really early on in my gaming career, I was introduced to Rollmaster. I had played AD&D, probably probably second edition. I don't really remember now because we only played it two or three times, and we went over to Merp and Rollmaster. Uh, almost immediately and from then on out that's that's what we played we played rolemaster merp every now and then we'd sprinkle in some top secret si but i mean that started when i was probably 12 years old playing uh playing rolemaster i had a friend with older brothers who had all of the rolemaster books arms law clause law spell law all that stuff and so we, we got into it right away and just instantly, that's, that's what we played. We'd play these huge, long campaigns. We'd play for, you know, we'd pull all-nighters, you know, drinking Coca-Cola, eating goldfish crackers till the sun came up. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I fell in love with Rollmaster super hard. But then, you know, when I stopped playing and came back to the hobby, n- nobody was playing it. And I, the biggest shame of my life was giving away all of my Rollmaster books right when I got back into the hobby. But yeah, I'm so happy that you're out here talking about Role Master, man. Spreading the good word of Role Master, dude. Good for you, Jason.
4: Hey, no problem. Barry. Yeah, the Shadow World was the first one. So um, I GM'd it initially, having never played it, which is always a fun experience. Um, I remember as well when I actually took it to the club to start running it, there was a fair bit of kind of negativity kind of other people saying, oh, roll we'll master this and roll we'll master that. But then there was quite a few people who, who were really interested in playing the system as well. So fortunately, the... It was also the adventure, the Islands of the Oracle adventure that came inside that box. And so I decided I had a pre-written adventure, had the system, so I just kind of went ahead and sort of gave that a try and gave it a run. And it was it was an interesting experience, it has to be said. It had its ups and downs. But yeah, I know that's kind of, I got thrown into the deep end of guest room, GMing it. But I had, I had good fun, to be honest. I mean, there was, like I said, there was some negativity around it, but in actual fact, I really enjoyed running it. Okay.
6: The first contact I had with Rollmaster was two things. So I, f- I saw a copy of Arm's Law, and this would be Worldmaster First Edition, in the game store in Norwich in Norfolk, England, where I was growing up. So on a place called Elm Hill in Norwich, which is probably the most famous street in that city, uh, there was a shop called The Games Room, which uh, may still be there. I don't know. I think it closed down not terribly a long while ago, but a while ago, I think. But I might be wrong. And Edwin King would be able to tell me because he's still living in Norwich. But yeah, I saw a copy of Arm's Law in there. um, And that was probably around about when it was published, which I think is around 80, something like that. So I'm not sure. I think maybe somewhere around 78, 79, 80 was being published. But I remember it, you know, it was just prior to going to high school. So You know, we we were playing um, when I was in middle school and essentially I remember seeing it in the shop when I went out with my dad. Because I used to go regularly with my dad to the shop and I'd nose around. Uh, I was interested in the role playing and the miniatures and stuff. My dad wanted the the big box war games and, you know, I got left to myself and I'd nose around the shop. Um, So that was the first
7: memory. Rob. I'm sure we saw ads for it in Dragon Magazine. Shandy Andy.
3: Presumably, it was the Middle Earth, I'm pretty certain, actually, before the Rolemaster, as I said. And, and that I I assume my friend Sean, who ran it, must have got the box set and sort of, you know, the usual thing, we turn up for a weekend role-playing. He'll show a box. I've got this new box set. Let's, shall we give it a go, guys? And we did. And then what well, the usual thing was, we all went off and bought it and, you know, and played it. I'm pretty certain we only played it six months or so and then the role master i think came several years later i think it was about uh, 1992 something like that that i um i got into the role master
0: many on we got into role master i, I this is this will end up sort of going into the next question so I, i'll keep it really brief but i got into role master through MURP. so we i played a, a middle earth campaign Uh, one-on-one with a friend of mine, right from when I started the game. So we got into Middle-earth probably 1984 or 1985, and we didn't know how to play it, Uh, the Merp rules, but we gradually moved on to Role Master so we could expand it. So it would have been 86 or perhaps 87, and this would have been the second edition rules in the blue box. Um, I forget the art exactly, but it had the Arms Law, Claw Law book, and the spell law and then the character campaign law book so three books and perhaps there was a campaign book um it had like a guy riding a pegasus on it i forget what it's called now Um, but that yeah we 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 use the role master as an expansion to middle earth role playing to play really high level over the top games (laughs) in middle earth um often often actually in the first and second age, actually part of the campaign. I think we did actually wind back to the first age and have a character play from there, uh, which sort of fits Role Master better, probably, than the third age.
1: Which product did you come across first, Joe?
2: The first Role Master product I came across, or Iron Crown product I Mm -hmm. came across, was Merp. We started with Merp, uh, which I always thought of was basically... Like Rollmaster Light, I thought Rollmaster was first and MERP came out later, but I don't, I can't remember if that's actually the order it happened in. But for me, we started off with MERP, played that a bunch. the The little adventure in the back of the MERP core book, I've run probably two or three times as a kid. I love it. I would love to run it again or play it again, but unfortunately the PDFs are really hard to find in an accessible format uh but that's that's a different story so yeah merp and roll map and the i don't remember what edition of rollmaster it was but so the first one i did come across was uh merp, for sure middle earth role playing barry
4: I, so i came across rollmaster by accident so with the gaming group i'd gone to it was like a war gaming stroke role playing club and they introduced me to AD&D second edition that was kind of my first experience of role playing and I was kind of thrown at the deep end because I went there to play Warhammer and they didn't do it so I kind of got thrown straight into AD&D second edition and I mean I loved it straight away it wasn't kind of like it wasn't a horrible experience fortunately and then from there they played various other games did a bit of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles which is a Palladium game and Palladium fantasy and did a bit of Warhammer fantasy role play and then what happened is the club did a lot of um, Inverness, where I'm from, I should say. They don't have, didn't have at the time, any gaming shops. There wasn't anywhere you could buy games. Everything was online. But what our club often did is they did trips to the gaming conventions of Scotland. And I remember one of these conventions. I think it was in Edinburgh. I came in and basically they were selling all these secondhand games. And they sat on this table. Basically, there was this box set, this nice blue box set of a game called Rollmaster, and it just looked, it just looked cool. For lack of a better word, is they opened up, looked at it, saw the different books and stuff, and saw the fact it was like three different rule books and there was lots of interesting tables. And I'll talk a bit probably a bit more later about it but there's like critical hit tables in there which really kind of like ooh, these look interesting and so i kind of got seduced by it there and there was also um uh, um shadow world master atlas book there as well like a box set for that as well so because i knew they were together i picked them up and thought well that's a game setting as well as a game so i kind of grabbed it so that was kind of how i sort of stumbled across it by accident in that sort of way so it wasn't a deliberate really i would not done any research i hadn't heard about anywhere else it was just total sort of random happenstance that i came across it um to be honest okay
6: first time we really um really got it under our noses to play was at school. So this actually was much later when we played role master like fully. So actually there was a kind of a two-step thing there because I no- I was aware of Rollmaster. master. And to answer your second question as well, the first part of had was arms law, because I bought a copy of arms law sometime around about 81 or something, 80, 81, sometime around that period, I bought that book and we were playing it with D and D. So we were playing what was the basic set, I think, of would have been the BX set. I didn't get D&D until Beckme, and we didn't know there was any difference between the two. And my friend Daniel also had the Player's Handbook play, um, eventually, but he first had the Monster Manual and then also DMG uh, for D&D. So I remember the Monster Manual arriving, and I remember us being dissatisfied with DD Combat and using Arms Law, which is essentially as I understand it, what it was intended for. But we used that for a while, but essentially my mate Daniel wasn't as keen on like kind of bolting that on. And we moved away from DD. So we were playing other games, Star Frontiers and Traveler being the main ones and, and various other games. But in about 84, 85, something like that. We ended up coming back to it because we met a new couple of guys at the school, the high school we went to Gavin and Alex, who were very, you know, really good friends. And they were interested in Role Master and playing Role Master. And they kind sort of joined our group. And there was a lot of agitation for a while from them, a lot of pressure from them to come and, come and play Role Master. It's really great. And eventually, we kind of allowed them to run us a game. And that's kind of when I entered the world of Rollmaster world fully. So that at that point we had the full rules, and it would have been the second edition by then um, of the full rules. And again, though we weren't really aware. I mean, I think I was referencing my first edition copy of the Arms Law while he was referencing his second edition a copy of it. And I'm not sure we cared that there was. A, I mean, there were probably differences, but I don't think we really cared, you know. And I just remember it being this incremental thing of getting each book, reading each book, and adding it onto the game sometime, I don't know when Merp was released, Um, I think that's kind of mid-80s, maybe something. You'd know the the restate is doing this research but that came in along the way so there was this kind of interlude where we started playing in Middle Earth and Middle Earth role playing and I think I, I owned it and brought it along and I remember that being probably the first game I tried to DM and it was terrible so then the lads took the game off me and confiscated it really. Uh, Gavin integrated that stuff into, you know and went through it. We played a little bit of Merp decided it was too basic and went back to Rollmaster. but that actually began the Middle Earth campaign campaign that gav then ran for years right through to 89 so i don't know if that helps but that was that was the exposure but it's a complicated story it's not like i got this product and it led to that it's sort of back and forth you know
7: rob when i remember riding the bus with my friend neil down to schinders a newsstand bookstore slash game store in downtown minneapolis and we were digging through the stacks and found arms law and uh but that was the only Rollmaster supplement they had. Neil bought that and I bought the Angmar Land of the Witch King setting for Middle Earth.
5: Shandy Andy.
3: Uh, the
1: first one you came across would have been the Middle Earth?
3: It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that was the uh, Games Workshop rebranded one. Not the one that you will have seen over in the US, yeah. Um, which is a purple um, front, which is a... Quite a decent, still, I've still got the box, it's still in reasonable condition as well, so it must have been fairly well uh, well put together.
0: Many on. The first product from ICE that I got was the original, as what I know of uh, as the original first edition uh, box set. So it's not the red box, and it's not the one with the Angus McBride art, but the uh, older art with this, let's see, there's this dwarf and it's on a big mound of gold. They're looking at the gold, but there's these uh, raves, or whites or something coming up from behind, and it, I remember probably seeing it in in White Dwarf or in the Virgin Megastore in London, when, and just being blown away by the fact that there was this role playing game set in Middle Earth. You know, and I, I loved Lord of the Rings, so I had to have it. Of course, you know the rules were we didn't understand the rules, so we just blundered through things and we interpreted it in our own way and. Very gradually, over the years, sort of reinterpreted them until we came closer to what the rules were supposed to look like. But uh, yeah, we, we also then got into Rollmaster, as I've just said, already said. And then uh, my friend had Space Master, which we didn't actually, we didn't actually play. We never actually played that, but we would have looked it, through the books and absorbed some of the ideas
1: over the years. What other Iron Crown Enterprise products have you played, Joe?
2: Just Merp and Rollmaster. I don't even know if we were aware of other ICE games back then.
4: Barry. The main other one um, is MURP, so the Middle Earth role-playing system. And again, that came from Uh, having a love of like the Tolkien fantasy. That's kind of what got me into fantasy in the first place, you know, having read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And so when I saw there was a Middle Earth role playing game, I kind of just grabbed it. It's a slightly simpler system than Rollmaster. So it's kind of Rollmaster. I wouldn't say it's Rollmaster like that's probably a bit overselling it, but it definitely simplifies the rules a fair amount. And again really kind of loved getting that system. Um, I haven't played any of the others to be got I have HARP. I've just never run it. So I do have HARP PDFs for HARP, but not actually run that system. So again I've seen a lot of praise for that system. A lot of people recommend it these days saying they'd rather run that than Role Master Classic, as it's called. Now, I don't know if I would, I kind of got a bit of nostalgia, I think, for Role Master. I think I don't would rather go back to the classic necessarily than run that. Um, I had seen Space Master around the time and I had always wanted to invest in it and have a look at it. But as always happens with these things, I got distracted by something else shiny and new, never quite got into it in the end. So it's one of the ones I never went to. So it's mainly Merp and um, Role Master second edition or classic, as we would now say.
6: So, yeah, I've played um, quite a bit of IC stuff. I, I really enjoyed IC. And, of course, it has been through at least, what, three iterations I can think of. But, essentially, I work backwards because it's easier to do that. So, uh, most recently, you know, I've been mucking around with Harp. And, I, and, actually, with Harp, I didn't go to Harp Fantasy, even though that came out first. I went to the Harp Sci-Fi, Harp SF, which I consider to be a very fine um, science fiction game. And then, kind of from that, went to Heart Fantasy, and I've, I've recently dug it out again because it is just such a rich game. Uh, that is essentially a sort of uh, lighter version of the sort of role master. It has a lot of the Rollmaster mechanical mechanical stuff, like the D one hundred roll, high look on a chart, but it's fewer charts. It's based, you know, it prides itself on being like the one the one roll for combat, not two, and things like that, which. You know, and it's a fine game, actually, and it, it really is um, worth a look. It's a little bit more sort of um, heroic. And well, I say that, that being said, Role Master is pretty damn heroic, to be honest. But yeah, it's a little bit more sort of like, I suppose, a bit more suited to a sort of a narrative game or a game that's a little bit more sort of high jinksy, you know, actiony, adventurey type thing, high adventure role playing, harp. So that's that. Obviously, in between those two i also went into playing so i've played space master and i own space master and then obviously middle f role play and and role master itself um i'm aware of some other products i'm i'm i don't know for sure because this is this is just a weird memory that's popped into mine i see i remember there being some kind of card product that they did that i i've played i could be entirely wrong and i could be mis- misappropriating that by seem to remember there being something in there to do with car decks or something but you know i don't know that's just memories but certainly those kind of those kind of four products really sort of you know middle earth role play uh, space master and of course with that comes this there's a cyberpunky thing as well i think yeah And you've got the privateers world setting which is kind of cool and i own that um and then you've got harp which is much more recent and then along the way there are like little bits and pieces so you, you know the worlds and settings so i really like the shadow world setting for example and whilst i have never really delved into it very much and there's so many cool ideas in there that i just want to steal i mean essence storms being straight off the top of my head i quite like the flying ships thing you know the airships or whatever they are that they're kind of like sailing ships in the sky and all that kind of stuff that's really, really cool terry emphill's stuff looks really interesting uh, harp has the sarodon setting which is quite nice again a nice classic sci- sci- uh, sort of fantasy setting and as I mentioned the privateer setting for, so for space master which is kind of a cool setting actually you know they're, they're quite imaginative um and i think they've probably fed my imagination and influenced me in more ways than i'm aware in fact i'm just going to say this recently i've been revisiting them and i've discovered just how much they resonate for me and how mu- how important they are to me as products which is you know it's really really cool actually to discover that the thing that you uh, were playing in the 80s and a bit in the 90s mostly picked up again after 2000s is actually you know seriously influencing everything i do so
7: rob well eventually we did get all of the role master stuff neil and i kind of divvied it up. So I had claw law and spell law, and he bought character law and arms law. But then we had a lot of the Middle Earth products to this the setting books, the scenarios. Uh, we, I don't know if Neil got Murp, but I got Murp and actually played that more than role master. And then I eventually did buy the uh, shadow world there, their own creation, their own world setting. And then last year I did purchase space master at a used bookstore but i haven't delved into it much to jason the chagrin
5: shandy andy
3: no no in fact i'll be honest i'm not even aware of any others um the middle earth or Rollmaster. master uh, but i wasn't a big person to go into game i might have gone into a game store once or twice a year so it would have been whatever was on the shelf at the time i tended to rely more on my the guys who were gming because i did very little gming you know outside from it's sort of about 86, 87, um, right through until about 2018. So I was relying on the guys, the GMs, to produce stuff and say, well, let's give this a go, you know. And then we would buy them. So.
0: Many on. It was very much, very much focused in Role as a, as a branch into middle earth role playing. Right. So but, using all those mm-hmm. lovely, lovely uh, campaign supplements. Was it the You have the snut. I forget how they called them now. Scenarios and campaign books. Was that um, adventure, yeah. adventures and campaigns or something like that? So just getting into these, it has so, so such a wealth of uh, information. And it wasn't like D&D where everything was laid out as an adventure. You had to go in there and you had to mine it for ideas. There, there were ideas, there were adventure ideas and hooks and plots, but you had to get in there and sort of draw the stuff out. And that forced you to work it into your ongoing campaign that you were playing you weren't sort of falling into somebody's adventure you were drawing stuff out and you had to personalize it you had to 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 your group you had to do that to to your your own group story or whatever
1: did you initially referee
2: or play
1: an iron crown enterprise product and did you eventually get to be on both sides of that screen joe
2: so I started off playing. Uh, I had, uh, my good friend had several older brothers who were all into gaming. And so he was pretty much the default GM, our friend. And so for a long time, I I was just a player. But I, I eventually wanted to run. So I ran the adventure in the back of the MERP book several times. And it's a really fun little adventure. You explore this abandoned castle like, it, it's really, really, it's a great little adventure. And I, like I said, I would love to like play it or run it again sometime, but mostly like 90% of my role master experience was as a player. I never actually ran role master itself. I just ran Merp. Very. Barry.
4: In actual fact, I've never played it. I've never been it as a player. I've always GM'd it. Any time I run it, I've not actually sat down and played it from the other end. I've never been on the other side of the table for a role Master game as of yet. Maybe one day, but at the moment, no. I've only ever GM'd it.
6: Che. Okay. So player first, GM second, and yes, eventually. I don't think I've ever really truly GM'd it for any length of time. I mean, I've only you know in the last uh, twenty years I've played it like twice. It, it depends what you mean, because you know I do a lot of solo play where I game on my own, and, and Rollmaster has come into that and is back at my table, actually, as his harp, to really look at again and revisit, because it's such a rich game for that. But yeah, I ran, I've ran two very short, like... Short adventures, really, or or just single adventure bits, you know, using it over the years, try to get friends into it. And it wasn't terribly unsuccessful. It's just me and my usual flakiness that kind of, you know, led us away again. I, you know, I remember around about the turn of the century. So you're talking around about. fantasy grounds came out what 2003 i think when it came out the reason i bought fantasy grounds which is now fantasy grounds classic for online play was to get the role master module so that i could run it online um and i was you know very keen to do that and then i found there was virtually zero players that i could play with so you know it kind of just went on the back burner but um, you know that is the reason i got into fantasy grounds it's the reason i got into online play full stop you know and even though it took me probably somewhere in the region of 15 years to really get to the be online gaming with on a sort of any kind of regular basis, you know, well was the reason the inspiration for that, you know, so that sort of sense, but going back to the beginning, play, you know, as I said, um I think we had the module, I think more than one copy in the group because I remember us referencing multiple books, you know, and we added it to DD. So in that sense it was it was added into D and it made D you know, actually not suck uh for us because we felt very much dnd combat sucked. You know, it was just boring. And what Rollmaster did is immediately spice all that up and we'll get onto why in later, you know, but that was great and exciting. And then when Middle Earth Roleplaying came out, essentially, I'm going to really, really be bold here and just say that I think Middle Earth Roleplaying introduced me to Middle Earth. Because whilst I'd kind of struggled my way through the Rings as a kid, you know, you'll bear in mind I'm somewhere between the 12 and 15 years old, you know, at this point. And, um, you know, reading a book like that is is a huge huge deal and it was difficult i'm not going to pretend that i was a good reader i'm not even a particularly strong reader these days you know um so i found that difficult but middle earth role play was the gateway into that world for me and i i feel like completely defined how i viewed that world for a very very long while but of course we moved relatively quickly within a year or so from Merp to role Master, using all of the materials, the Rollmaster materials for Middle Earth, which essentially were compatible with both games. And, um, you know, then played for four or five years. In that time, um, you know, I had a couple of tastes of GMing odd bits. I remember running old sessions, you know, when someone was not available, you know, because we used to, like, have a regular GM at that point. But if he was ill or wasn't available, we'd still want to play. So someone would just step up and run some encounters, you know. So I didn't really come the other side of the screen until well after university in any kind of bold way but you know i tasted it i think my first taste of gemming probably came through you know beginnings of role master and middle of role play and then you know really through the years you know i just became a games master and the problem i've always had well I've, you know i've been quite happy to play role master but actually it's the players who don't want to play it you know it's people well, people who believe they don't want to play it and again, maybe it's something we can talk about more uh, later in this. But actually, there are, you know, there are some reasons why a lot of players are wrong about Rollmaster. So you know, I think it's a great game.
7: Rob, it's pretty hazy, but I think I initially GM'd. I know what I eventually played to. Um, most of the memories I have of playing Rollmaster or trying to make it, trying to shoehorn it onto a D and D system, because that's kind of how they marketed it at first was that you could use arms law and claw law as a alternate combat system with D and D in it didn't really work all that well for us, but I did do both. I remember making up a Dwarven alchemist and I think I had some kind of sorcerer or something, you know, the one that had all the destruction spell lists and stuff. Uh, And when I GMed, I'm, I'm quite sure I ran a was running a little middle earth game set in the troll shaws.
5: Shandy Andy
3: no purely a player i've always uh played i've played under two gms that i can recall sean and neil both guys i i now gm request for so we're still in touch and everything and i think as i said sean i think did it in the mid 90s neil was about 1998 well i know it's 1998 because i've still got the emails to that <laughs> he sent me uh you know to prep for the uh, uh the sessions that we had so i can definitely date that sean i did speak to on Saturday about it. And we think it was the sort of about 92, 93, 94, around about that time. But we're a little hazy. Um And I've definitely got three characters that I played because I've still got them in the box set. There might have been more characters uh, that I, you know, I might have a lot mislaid, but I've definitely got three that I played, two under Sean and one under Neil.
0: Many on. I think I only ever got to GM. <laughs> yeah. But I don't regret that. I think when you're playing... One on one anyway, you're both really playing <laughs> in mm-hmm. that you're you're just working off each other because there's only two people. You're you're creating the stuff and you're bending the rules, you're breaking the rules. Yeah. So yeah. It, it it didn't I never felt like I was uh being it doesn't feel it didn't feel as demanding as GM in a big group does.
1: What do you feel the system's strengths are compared to other systems? Joe.
2: I loved the world. I loved the world of Middle Earth. I love playing in that world because we always ran role master in the middle earth world. Even when we switched from MURP over to role master, we kept in the middle earth world. And it's just such back then, especially uh, back in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties, Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings wasn't anywhere near what it is today, obviously, because there weren't the movies. But it was just such a cool, unique, rich, rich environment that just felt, I, I still feel like that's, that's the world that I think of when I think of like RPG settings. You know, I, I've never, I don't have any real association with Greyhawk or Faerun or any of those other places, Eberron, they're all cool and stuff, but I just think the world of Middle-earth is such and just such an amazing world to play in, and it was so much fun. And I loved, I loved all the books of Rollmaster. Uh, just finding all those different books and all the different classes that they ended up putting out. With. Even as a kid, I've always been a junkie for that stuff for building cool characters and really unique classes. And and, and its biggest strength, where my heart really lies, between the setting. And then as a game, it's, it's the tables. It's the critical tables, man. I love them. I think they're amazing. They do take away a little bit of, you know, the player's ability to describe what their attack does, you know, like you can in like D&D. You can say, oh, I hit him in the leg and blah, blah, blah. The critical tables in Rollmaster tell you where you hit them and how much it's doing, but they're so descriptive. They're so flavorful, and it's brutal. I mean you could die in a heartbeat in Rollmaster with at full hit points, let alone death at zero hit points. You can die at full hit points if you take a nasty enough critical. And I just think it's I, I just think it adds just a ton of flavor and fun to the game. Barry.
4: One of the things I'll say about it is it's deep percentile. There's something about percentile systems, particularly myself, I just seem to really love. I think it's something about the probability factor, I think, with percentage-based systems because you don't have to think about the probability factor. you got a good sense. If something's a 50% chance, 60% chance, 75% chance, you've got a good idea of how likely you are to succeed at something. And that's something that's not always really obvious in you in things like you know the D20 system, depending on the difficulty class. Um, even though they're 5% increments, it's hard to work out in your head with the rolling and modifiers what your actual chance of success are. You've got a vague idea when you've played it enough times. And likewise, with games like GURPS with the 3D6 systems, it's not always obvious because the, the the math changes as you go up and down those different numbers and things. The percentage doesn't move in a sort of very unified way. I like the fact that the game like I there was a unified system, so it is all percentile dice. I mean, there's some d10 rolls and there's open-ended rolls, upper end, bottom end. But actually, it's all just around your d10s and your d100s. There isn't bringing lots of other dice in, and that kind of even cuts through to like things like the damage tables as well. So you don't roll different dice for damage; it's like roll the damage tables and things. I really liked as well the the openness of the character design. That's one of the things when I read the rulebook, I really enjoyed. There isn't really anything that's off limits as such is like when you when you look at the system, you spend development points to build up different skills. And you know, even if you're like a hardcore fighter as your profession, you can still learn magic if you want to. It's really, really expensive. And you'd have to really pile all your development points into developing magic skills and things. But the fact is, in a way, there isn't anything stopping you doing that. The rules actually allow you to do that if you choose to do that. It's very inefficient. I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone. But you know, the option is there. And I really like that from a system. I don't like systems where there's kind of like these artificial boundaries. Sometimes you're really rigid in that class system and you kind of really pigeonholed. And I know it's there a lot for niche protection and things but you know the development points to me kind of covered that it's like you couldn't really make yourself a great fighter and a great spellcaster say for example with the development point system but it allowed you the option to add things on if you really really wanted to again talking a bit about the character creation I loved when I read through the rules about how you build your character up when you build those points at early stages it's like you almost start like a, a level zero like your adolescent years and you're building up your character almost in like an organic way as well yeah and as I said before those critical hit tables as well I was saying when I flicked through those books the first I went through Arms Law there was just those amazing epic critical hit tables describing all these amazing ways that you decapitate people you burn them into ashes so there's nothing left and things that again really really kind of spoke to me uh, I think people have said in the past as well that a lot of the books for Roma. Originally intended to be used with the systems. So, like those critical tables were kind of invented, I guess, in a way initially to go with other gaming systems to add as options for critical hits. One of the last things I think, as well, was the magic system. Again, I liked, I liked the fact that um, it's broken down into these like different versions of magic. So, you've got like channeling, essence, and mentalism magic. And the professions kind of linked to whether you're a pure caster or a hybrid caster. And I like the way it kind of described the magic. It kind of, with DD, for example, magic's just magic and divine magic's divine magic. And there isn't really an awful lot of, you know, certainly not in the old systems, too much conversation about it really what magic is in the world unless you've got some of the settings that say but the core books don't and the way it kind of described essence magic and you know how you channel through things and the mentalism to sort of draw on the magic lessons. again that kind of really spoke to me at that time reading it so to me those were kind of the strengths it was the system the sort of way you could develop your characters and um, those critical tables and, and the magic system i just i kind of really loved the way it kind of worked and how you learn the spells by learning the spell okay
6: Wallmaster is a very coherent game system. So, and I, and I want to be distinct here because I think a lot of people will hear us talk about master and they all think we're just talking about the rules. But the, the rules are not the game. Um, and I, this is my mantra, so bear with me. But the rules are, are part of a game. A game system consists of like three primary elements. And the one is the mechanisms of the rules and how you adjudicate things. Another is the method of play. And the third is the world. And Master actually influenced all three of those. So for starters, for example, introduces to Middle Earth as a world. It also introduced us to like a different flavor of fantasy world from D D. And that is it one of its key distinctions. Um, so rereading it recently i realized just how much it influenced us down to silly stuff or seems silly actually but it's actually hugely important so for example there's a whole section on herbs okay, in Rollmaster, And if you get the right herbs, they, they all have different medicinal effects, which is something that just doesn't happen in role-playing games these days, to my experience. People don't bring this stuff to the table. They always rely on the potion or the magic spell to do healing, for example. But in Rollmaster, I learned that, you know, there's certain plants... And it comes from it comes from Tolkien, you know, and Falas. Um, but you know, if you brew them up in the right way and you give them to the, the the character, it heals, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So that was something that really determined the flavor of world, if you like. And that's a, just a simple example of the sort of influence that it had on us. But there's also yeah the mechanisms of play, which I'll talk about in a minute. But there's also the the, the method of play. Rollmaster actually really got us thinking differently about how we would play, and it became the thing where the GM you know that in the um in the books um i to remember there being sections about like building plot and building not plot as in a you know a railroad but as in a like thinking about uh your npcs and what they want and the idea of factions actually is in there i don't think it's like called out as such you know but it's the if you read the text it's there this idea of you know npcs do things and they band together other people and they have their motives and there should be the sense that things are going to happen and be happening around the hero- you know, the heroes of the story, uh, the characters themselves, and they're not the only drivers of action. That all stuff, all for me, came from Rollmaster. Now, whether it's me reading between the lines, bear in mind I was about 15, I doubt very much I was doing a lot of reading between the lines. I think it was kind of very heavily implied or even explicitly stated, but without reading it again, I, I can't be sure. But I, that's where I learned all that stuff. And for me, when I come to a game now, I am, when I think about it, I am measuring the game against that experience. You know, D&D told me virtually nothing about how to play beyond running a dungeon and running a hex crawl, because we had expert and we knew how to run dungeons and the hex crawls, you know, basic expert. Rollmaster taught me how to make the world come alive. You know, I think that was the thing that really changed. It wasn't just, you know, hexes and locations and monsters and random encounters. It became uh, more than that. It became richer than that. You know, that these towns, I remember reading details about like how to set up cool locations and towns and populace and thinking about, you know, it brought in all these concepts about medievalism and actual, you know, drew on some elements of, of the medieval. So that, for me, is a real strength of it. And then, of course, there's the mechanisms. So I said it's a coherent game. You know, it has a really, really detailed blend of that classic D&D class thing in what's called professions um, and a really great skill system, which was kind of where things were going through into the 80s. And it is actually a very coherent whole thing. You know, it works together really, really well that I don't remember there being much in the way of dump stats in it for example I remember every you know every skill drew on a a couple of different um, attributes and they were all important in some way and it all depended on how you wanted to build your character and you know the other thing i really loved about it was that every character could learn every skill even if it was dead hard to learn some skills if you weren't from the professional so for example if you wanted to learn spells you could do that if you were a warrior but you know it was like really hard compared to if you were you know one of the magic using um clock you know professions so and then there were some things that are that sort of bridge all of that. So, for example, um, some of the profession names and some of the professional ideas. Like the animist, really sticks out in mind for me. The animist, which is a a uh, channeling magical, you know, kind of your spell caster, which kind of you know has that whole you know spirit realm drawing on the energies from from the spirits around you kind of vibe going on. Which again is totally different to the cleric from the. In- this kind of idea I mean the cleric is almost kind of you know Judeo-Christian archetypal but also very stereotypical kind of you know figure and Rollmaster introduced us to yeah there were clerics but they were all you know they could be clerics of any god by the way and you know of whole pantheons as well but also you know there was this idea of these kind of other ways of doing magic you know and and the mentalism was another thing I really remember. You know, it had essence and channeling and mentalism, so sort of internal power. And, and it kind of made sense of psionics that didn't really work anywhere else. And it kind of made sense of that and brought that into the game. So, you know, your bard, I think, is a character that has some fighting abilities and some thieving abilities and some mentalism magic. You know, I can make you make you believe things, you know, and it was really exciting. To have all of that and it come together really coherently, so for me that's its real strength it's a coherent entire game eventually once you've got all the bits, of course, there is that thing where you could say it's cynical to build it you know bit by bit, but actually, I think it was just organically being built by its designers you know they they wanted a combat system and then they want a spell system, and then they kind of added the character bit and and the and it all built up so it, it is just you know wonderfully coherent but because it's modular you can plug in and unplug the bits you don't want so there's no sweat to unplug you know you don't like animists you don't like the mentalism magic Boop, pop them out don't like this pop that out don't want this you know you're not playing in a medi- pseudo medieval game or take out the main gulch and all of the other kind of weird weapons related to medievalism and the heavy plate arm and all that just take it out it doesn't make any difference you know it just works also you know the, the skills as that. So you know there's science sciencey type skills but they don't you can just take them out and no one's going to notice the only thing you can't really take away from the game before it starts falling over is those core attributes some of the classes you really do need like warrior and you know i would suggest but actually the combat skills are about the only thing you really can't strip without it starting to wobble but almost everything else you can. And, and I just loved that about it. Um, now, we wanted to play with everything in um, when we were, when we started, but I do remember we didn't use everything. You know, there was just so much in the game that you were never going to use it. More. And that was cool. That was kind of a cool thing. So yeah, strength is this coherence as a system, you know, not just a set of rules, but actually as a methodology that was implied, a way of playing and approaching the game. Um, and there was a lot of, there worlds and interesting stuff in there that you could use as well.
7: Rob. I was struck by the versatility and flexibility of the game system at, at first, coming from a D&D background where all the classes were really set in stone and there weren't there wasn't much flexibility. You were just, you were a fighter, you couldn't use spells. You were a magic user, all you could use is a dagger and you couldn't wear armor. In Role Mastery, you could really make the character that you wanted and there were all these different classes too and more attributes so you could um and the way that the the development points work too where you got more development points for having like a high reasoning and memory or whatever it was self-discipline it would almost you could design a fighter that was more of an analytical kind of guy and he'd get more he'd get more development points so he could become more skilled more quickly than the guy that just had like the physical attributes so there were a lot of A lot of options you could have, and I like that a lot. And then the combat, I think, is really cool that you have a more, to me, what seems a more realistic process where if you're unarmored, you're going to get hit less, but when you do get hit, it's going to be critical hits. And if you're wearing heavy armor, you're not able to dodge those blows as well. So you're going to get hit more often, but it's it's going to be a rare occurrence that you take some kind of critical hit from it and just having a different attack table for each of the weapons that just seemed to really to my to the 15 16 year old rob it seemed like yeah this is where it's at this is you know pretty realism at its best
5: shandy andy
3: okay well I'm the first one i'm going to list on both as a strength and a weakness uh, and that's complexity there were times when our, our I felt that there was a lot to work with there, which I thought was great. Allowed you to do a lot of detail and allowed you to k- keep an interest. You know, there was always something to read up on it. And it also, you know, seemed that there was something extra that you would missed and somebody else could out. You know, that was great because it generates conversation around the table and everything. You know, so if you're in the mood for it, the complexity was good. But the main advantage I found was with Rollmaster. there seemed to be a lot of what I'd call dead time when you as a, a, a player were sitting around at the table waiting for other people to have done stuff, particularly combat, which seemed to be quite prolonged compared with any other system. I think we'd certainly played. So, you know, even though there were only four or five of us, you might wait 20 minutes for your turn because there was an awful lot that could happen in a a, <laughs> a combat, especially if you've got a critical hit and you were trying to, you know, look up the tables and everything. So what I ended up doing was I played in the Bard because I realised that that dead time allowed me to write my little poems and make scribbles and effectively keep a log of what the set was happening in the session. Uh, all, of course, from Fixton's point of view, who was always a hero and everything was centred around him. But but I think that's actually a massive plus. And it was the first time that anyone in our group really, you know, tried to play a bard and play him as a, a poet who was responsible for writing up the sessions and, um, you know, keeping track of the adventures and everything, you know. And I don't, so I think we owe Rollmaster quite a lot for, particularly in our group, for setting us out on that path.
0: Many on... Ah, Strengths. I think there's two interesting points that, that, I, that occur to me when I think of Rolemaster or Middle-earth role-playing. Uh, one is how, how it combined levels with skills in a way that sort of combined elements of Dungeons & Dragons. So you've got the class and the levels of Dungeons & Dragons. But it also nodded... It was like a nod towards RuneQuest but instead of of course rolling under the number and being a straight d percentile system like uh, RuneQuest, it was like an open-ended D hunt it's not a percentile system, D hundred system. Uh what that means obviously is that if you roll under I think it's if you roll one to five or something like one to four, perhaps it was, then you're rolling negative. So you roll again to see how far down negative you go. This time if if you rolled uh so that became a minus number taken from uh, you know, and then you minus off the the points so if you roll after you roll a three you roll, then roll a 90 a 90 um, that would be a minus 87 uh plus you know, then modified by whatever your skill might be and the other way you could and you could go down add infinitum and it's also the reverse so if you roll over was it a 95 i think okay. it was a 95 or higher um, you'd then roll again and if you rolled a 95 or higher you'd also add on that roll, and you keep on doing that plus your skills so what it meant was that yeah you could potentially do anything even if you were rubbish at something there was still this possibility that you might be able to to kill a Nazgul even if you're a first level character but the the chances were so slim but it was still hearkening back to the, the this rule this idea that you can try anything right which is like the basis of um of uh, role playing right you can try it but you might not succeed and uh, <laughs> there's a extremely likely chance uh, sorry there's extreme likelihood that you will die <laughs> trying but still you might just succeed and that's what the dice represented there in role So that's one thing i really liked about it uh, and another thing i liked was how they combined for example if you're t- doing combat they combined everything in what more or less one role i mean if you were lucky and you got a crit you had to do another role but basically it was one role and rather than armor deciding whether the the blow hit or not, it was all about well you probably hit but it might not do any damage. And so uh, what's that? it wasn't the dam- the, the armor wasn't uh, it didn't help you avoid being hit. It mitigated damage, or mm-hmm. uh, And mitigated criticals, the level of a critical. Uh, that's all in one role. So you just look. You'd have these different forms of armor. Say you know soft lever, rigid lever chain and plate, you're just comparing the number that the player finally rolled uh, or the modified number with that type of armor, uh, minusing the defense bonus, if I remember correctly. So the defense mm-hmm. bonus, uh, for those who don't know, was, um, if I remember, it was dexterity or agility, agility, they call it agility, and I think shields also modified that and some other ma- magical items would increase your defense bonus, so that, that was the, the evasion point that was the, ev- the evasion um, uh, function there. But the, the armor did something different, which was cool. Um, and that, yeah, that, that was good. And so then, you, of course, you've got these levels of critical. So if it does do damage, there might be a critical, not but not necessarily. If there's a critical, that level could be uh, mitigated to some degree by the armor. And then you'd have to make one more roll to see what uh, the critical was, depending on the type of weapon or attack that you were using. And these criticals were, you know, it was one critical table modified by the type of critical with the most extreme critical being an E. You know, you, you just roll a D percentile on add a 20 on that roll in that case. And, yeah, you, I mean, it can kill you in one go. It can have effects. So, um, I don't know. For example, crush critical table, say it was an e, uh, e E, critical, which is the maximum type of critical. You roll a D percentile add a... 21 to that say you rolled a 77 uh, so that's a 97 well that would be a blast to the chest send rib cage through the lungs drops and dies in six round rounds vicious and that's um not a really high roll on the percentile dice there um for the crit anyway uh instant death you know regardless of how many hit points you have this is coming from the uh, middle earth role-playing game MURP, uh, second edition by the way and obviously roll master expanded the types of criticals and uh, uh, expanded on that but the the basic format was the same so you could switch and maybe that's a third strong point of role master is that you could switch up from that more simplistic system of lerf role playing and upgrade to the more advanced role master or you could take it into space and play space master or whatever you wanted to do it was pretty much portable i guess and there's no reason why you couldn't play a warrior in a space campaign <laughs> right mm-hmm. i I don't know how <laughs> how how many disadvantages you would have, or yeah yeah, that might be uh a, quite a complicated matter, but not impossible
1: yeah what do you feel the system's weaknesses are compared to other systems joe
2: <sighs> that's that's tough i mean i it's been so long since i've played it I don't remember that much i mean for me personally right now what i would say is the accessibility of the product i can't get the pdfs of merp at least in an accessible form where a screen reader can use it uh i know that there are uh some some of the D or so, sorry some of the Rollmaster classics have been released in usable pdf forms i haven't started digging into them yet i've checked out a couple and they are accessible which really pumps me up but yeah i would say you know and it's that whole thing that people throw out all the time the quote-unquote it's too complicated it is a crunchy system it involves paying attention and putting in a little bit of
4: work so i don't know
2: i guess that would be its weakness Very.
4: the main thing is, is, is the complexity level of the rules i guess everyone will say that and it, it does bit of struggle saying so to my mind there's too there's too many stats. There are ten core stats, that's quite a lot. In anyone's book that has a lot of stats. I mean you can you can get your head around it eventually. Um, one thing is it's a bit boggling for some people as well as the development stats, the ones where essentially they're only there to spend points when you level up so a lot of the game they don't do anything. They just sit there in the background doing naff all whilst you're playing the game. And so that's an issue where I think it feels a little bit like a wasted opportunity or whether there's other ways you could wrap this into the stats. Things I found players struggled a bit with as well was when you're doing the character generation, it is a little bit bit complicated and body development is one of the ones how you develop your hit points is a real struggle for some people and some of the spell lists though i like the spell listing again that's it it's worth saying as well the tables the many many tables the book is filled with tables beyond belief There's so many tables for you know damage for criticals also for things like you know when all the modifiers for different situations situational modifiers is a lot of them it really goes into depth into getting into the really nitty gritty around it so it's a very you know can be a very complex system it's like one of those things i said before where it's a very complete system so it has rules for almost everything around those kind of things. But one of the things I found, I guess, to kind of counteract some of those weaknesses is that with the tables, it's a case of tabbing. So I remember when I first played it, I had Post-it notes, and this was me being a bit thick, so I was quite young, that, you know, I tabbed all the different weapons for the characters I had in, in the books. So basically they were all tabbed, so when someone using a weapon, I could just flick straight to the table for the damage and for the critical hit, so it kind of really streamlined in combat flicking to the right page quickly but this was before the day of the little tag post-it notes it was full-sized post-it notes and With hindsight i could have chopped those down to size but i didn't have these big massive post-it notes sticking out of the book but it still worked it worked really well i could just flick really quickly at the time and it really kind of helped get rid of one of those problems and that's kind of the things it's a bit like from a gm's point of view even if a system's complicated i think having that prep having that a bit of organization beforehand sometimes can really kind of save your time when you're playing the game okay
6: Okay, I guess there are two things that, you know, cause uh, difficulty. and One is the appearance of complexity, and I'm going to say it's the appearance of complexity. So if I show you a book, um, you know, Arms Law, which I have, you know, with me, and I start looking for all these tables, you know, if you're new to the role-playing game or you've been playing something like D&D, that just looks hell intimidating, you know, pages and pages of weird columns of numbers with, you know, codes like 7AK, you know, what what does that mean? You know, um that can that that's the you know the appearance of complexity. And um what it is again is this difference between complexity and detail. Um, there is a there is a difference you know some some games are complicated and, and really convoluted in the way in which they operate. Roll master isn't it's actually pretty straightforward most of the time you're rolling d100 and rolling high and you're adding that number you roll to a value you have and you're comparing that to a table if you so with a skill if you roll and you get 101 or more you succeed you know um, and it's kind of that simple actually um, and but you know there are circumstances and that rolls used in lots of different ways and and but they're all pretty straightforward. So, for example, a resistance roll—you roll, and the number on the chart tells you what the other person has to roll to to resist. But that's quite elegant, actually. It's it's just that there's a chart to check on. And then when it comes to combat, yeah, you're rolling, you know, and you've got the cross reference of the armor, someone's armor level, armor value, and like you know what you rolled, and you look at our chart and you get a value, and that's how many wounds they, you know concussion hits they take and then if there's a crit what type of crit and how severe it is and then you go and roll on the critical hit table so people go oh no you know it's really complicated it's really difficult what to attack you roll to attack and you roll damage really you know it's not actually much what you're rolling d100 to see how many wounds you do and whether you get a crit and then you're rolling on the crit table Whereas in d and I'm rolling a hit and I'm rolling damage. It actually isn't mechanically that much more complicated. It's just the chart. So that was the... But that, of course, is a drawback. People look at it and go, oh, it's scary. But actually, as a player, I'm just going to say this. You only need, in front of you, the chart for the weapon you use. And let's be honest, players don't usually use more than two weapons. Maybe a ranged one and a, and a melee one. And if you really, really want to be picky, you might have a dagger one slipped in behind because, you know, people sometimes have a dagger. And that's it. So you might have two or three charts to reference. The GM's going to have the crit chart. And to be honest with you, you play enough, you're gonna memorize the crit chart anyway. You're gonna know what a crush a crush critical does on on, on a fifty plus or whatever. Cause, you know, you just do. You just they're funny. Those crit charts are full of really interesting text that actually becomes memorable. You know, I know you know all the one fifties and highers are instant kills and hilarious. So it just becomes quite memorable. So that's, 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 you know, it's a downside, this appearance of complexity, but it is an illusion, really. I think that the the real downside of the system is that it's uh, all front loaded character gen is very front loaded, uh, detail heavy. So you know, you have to generate, you know, multiple stats, I can't remember if it's eight or 10 off the top of my head, I think it's 10. And yeah, then you've got to kind of build, you know, choose, you've got like various development points to spend and you've got to like, you know, you get an adolescent set series of points to spend and pick skills that you get, which are based on your profession and race. I think one of the disappointments for me is the fact that uh, it's something that Harp improves, okay, the, the race implies certain cultural Um, background so a dwarf always has a sort of under the mountain kind of thing one of the things i really like about harp is they separated the races and the cultures so you can mix and match them so you can have like dwarves from the woods and you know elves from under the mountains and you know all that which is a lovely lovely little tweak that harp has done it'd be very easy to plug that into old master though and then anyway and moving on from that then you know you have gotta go and spend your points from your profession and you know set that up and that can be very time-consuming that wasn't a problem for me when i was 15 because i had like loads and loads of time and honestly i'd spend i would spend evenings when i wasn't gaming or after to get home from game and i you know done my homework all 5 minutes of it i would uh, sit down and roll up characters night after night after night for weeks and months you know probably rolled hundreds and hundreds of characters up over that time i wish i kept them all cuz they'd be great npcs but yeah there's that front loading it's quite intimidating to the new players. i remember when we first started you know it's like oh, this is like really going to be heavy but once you've done it a couple of times, you know, you're going to spend an hour creating your first character. You know, you really are. But, um, I'll be honest with you. I can remember knocking them out, you know, two, three, four, an hour when I was, once I was com- comfortable with the cinema. And again, if you're playing long enough, you know, enough, you just get to know what the characters do, and what kind of things you want to build in anyway. So the bit of it that was, um, you know, sort of most intimidating was all that upfront stuff. I think if you get over that, it is a really quite elegant little game engine with a whole horde of awesome detail. You know, and so much flexibility. But, you know, people have come to believe that it's one of those complicated games that's impossible to play, and so therefore it must be, must not it? It's got this reputation as, as chart master, you know? And uh, yeah, so what? You know, it's using a combat table. I honestly... What, what, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. I, I You know, have you ever played with it? Because if you haven't, it's not as onerous as you think. The worst thing mechanically in Royal Master mm-hmm. is, is the system for deciding, you know, in combat, combat actions and how you work. Now I say that because it plays a heck of a lot better than it it reads. Right. So to, for the benefit of the listener, you've got, imagine you've got like in a... In a um, I want to say it's a 5 second combat round or maybe 6 but in a combat round you've got like 100 up to 100% of your activity you can do in that time and you divide that between different actions which gives you incredible flexibility but it looks hugely complicated you know like if I'm going to make an uh, a proper melee attack I can that's going to be a minimum of 60% of my activity in this round and up to 100% which means I've got a, somewhere around about you know sort of 40 percent of stuff i can be doing that could be some movement perhaps so i can make in the move and attack but instead of it being like you know like a modern day dnd game says right you can move this far and then make an attack and you can do the movement and the it's it's kind of it's more flexible on that and and yet sort of slightly more complicated than that so i've just said it's not complicated but it's about can you add up percentages in 10 percent chunks really that's how difficult it is. You know, like I've got to move 20% of my movement rate and I'm going to make an attack. And, um, and then I'm going to like put some, of, from some of my attack strength into, into dodging It's usually about the limit of what you're thinking about. If you're casting the spell, you might be wanting to like go all out, or you might be wanting to do it slowly while you move a bit, but the system allows you this flexibility, you know, to represent what you really want to be doing with your character. Um, you just have to be able to sort of you know, juggle that around in practice though um there are two things that happen one is it's not that complicated it doesn't isn't actually as complicated as it reads but the second thing is most of the time you're not doing that most of the time you run up to the other uh, your foe and then you clobber them all out until they're down because that's the most efficient thing to do just like you would in dnd frankly it's just it's going to be probably a shorter fight because it's not about grinding hit points it's about getting a crit in and killing them outright you know so but that for me was the thing and in you know, these days I kind of, I cringe at the initiative. Um, I'm a, but then again, I cringe at initiative in any game these days. So you know, the initiative die roll is, to me, the thing that makes me go, and that's just me. But, you know, it's 2d10, add your quickness bonus, and then whoever's highest goes first. Again, instead of rolling 1d20, like in modern D&D, and adding an you know, initiative bonus, um, it's not actually that difficult. It's the same kind of maths. You know, it's it's just different dice, that's all. Yeah, it's about if I have an offensive bonus with my short sword, as Goriel Swiftfoot did, of 80, you know, then I I can attack all out with 80, a plus 80 bonus on a D100 roll. Remember, 101 or more, I'm going to be getting a strike that's worth it. Uh, Obviously, with combat, you want the highest number you can get. So be in my advantage. But the truth is, if I get like attacked back or counter or, um, you know, whatever, then I'm only using my defensive bonus, which is usually relatively low. So what you're allowed to do is take some of that offensive bonus and turn it into defensive which you know represents parrying with the short sword so I might take 20% of it off or even as much as 40% of it off and put that onto my defensive bonus which then the opposing player has got a beat to hit me and, and that sort of trade-off is actually really interesting in play there's, there's a whole load of different sort of options that are played in coming to play there you know do I want to be reckless and go all out and try and take the guy down quickly or am I going to play it a bit more sensitive am I going to be playing really defensively? And, you know, I know that I'm outmatched here. I've got to be careful. Um, You've got all that flexibility. Again, when you're playing a game when it's roll 1d20, add your bonus and beat the AC, and there isn't anything else to it, is there, really? You know, unless you've got some kind of whiz, whizzy wazzy power in the fifth edition. So, I mean, in Rollmaster from the word game that's why it was interesting to us back then, was that it wasn't just roll 1d20 and... You know, against some armor class which was lower, if it was better, if it was lower, and all that, it just became actually what seemed to us much more sensible. That you know, I've got this percentage based bonus, and then so I can get my head around what that means, and then I can split that. And and that's a nice, you know, it's a nice mechanism, really allows a lot of flexibility. And again, it sounds more complicated than it is actually in play. You are just sort of, yeah, I'm going to hit for, I'm going to add plus 50 and I'm holding 30% back, you know, roll off you go.
7: Rob, it plays really slow at the table when you have more than um, three, four PCs, when you have more than four or five opponents that they're fighting. It almost encourages the the GM to have everyone wielding the same weapon on the opponent's side so you don't have to have all these charts open. And the, the font, the type on the charts is really itty-bitty <laughs> so that my old eyes now would have a hard time with it. But yeah, I think the biggest drawback to it was that we're it's like the yin and yang of the strengths of the system to me the character creation is great but it takes a really long time the combat system is great but it it plays really clunky at the table maybe if there were these macros or something that would allow you to quickly resolve the the combat for various weapons against various armor types it would be great but um I've only played it with the, the physical charts at the table, and that seemed to be, yeah, you know, pretty pretty clumsy.
5: Shandy, Andy.
3: Okay, well, there's quite a few here, <laughs> but I, I, but this is not running it down. I, I like Rollmaster, um, uh, may, 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 maybe because of some of these weaknesses in some ways. First of all, the complexity. If you're not in the mood for it, there's a lot of chart lookups and things like that. Um, Uh, And it really can bog you down sometimes, Um, you know. There's not enough information on the character sheet. You cannot play, I don't think, playing off the character sheet. You've got to have the books there for reference, unless you've got a really good memory, you know, or you've really studied the books, you know, in depth. As I've mentioned, there's a lot of looking up. Um, I mean, I've got bookmarks in my, I've still got them, Bits and they're just torn bits of paper stuck into the book. Uh, One I noticed was on uh, for the broadsword, which was Fixon's weapon. Another one was on the bard-based spell list. You know, so uh, you had to have, you know, those handy. And the reason they were torn bits of papers, I just haven't got enough proper bookmarks to, you know, cope with all the lookups that you needed to do. I think you really need the books as a player, Oh, you obviously do as a GM, but a lot of systems you don't actually need. I don't think the books as a player. I think you'd be hard pressed personally to play role master if you hadn't got a book there because of all this looking up. And there's a lack of consistency in the books as well, which I found. And again, I think it's because well, when I look at them inside the cover, the character law is marked as fifth US edition, 1987. The arms laws fourth edition. The spell laws got no edition in it they are different quality card on the outside and the format is isn't really very consistent in between the books now uh, we've talked outside this case uh, maybe that they were in the uk or maybe this was even in the us that they didn't match the books up necessarily it was just whatever stock was left on and they just put them in a box set and sent them out um whatever stock was there rather than uh, but i think that is a to its detriment in some way uh And the other thing i finally mention is no indexes I mean you know especially when you're doing so much look up in this system it's begging for an index from my mind
0: Many on well, it takes a while to learn the rules there's a lot of if you're if you're a complete uh novice to the system you're just scrambling around in the dark uh you really like the character creation so you've got the you've got these adolescence points so you you start off you have Like various different points, even before you get into the class, your class, you've got adolescence points, which are based on your culture or your race or species or whatever. And that takes you up to, you know, the average adolescent of that um, culture. But then, and then you, so you you decide which kind of skills you want to fill in. So if it's a one-handed weapon, is it slashing or crushing, I guess? Yes. I can't remember if you have to decide at that point. Um, and then also, yeah, so then you've got your class, and then you're also putting in some more ranks. So it, in a sense, it feels a little bit like um, it doesn't feel like it. it. It's it's like Pathfinder in that in Pathfinder, you also have these these skill ranks, but it's much more fiddly. It's much more fiddly to understand what does that one rank mean. Well, it means five points. At least it does until maybe, was it 10, 10 ranks or... 20 ranks and then it it's two two uh two points and then and then it drops down to one point after a certain so you really need to play through the game trial and error if you're a complete novice you're all novices and i can see that being a massive put off for a lot of people even if they have somebody who knows what they're doing you've got a veteran just looking at these tables and tables and trying to understand what how that translates into enjoyable uh role playing is uh Massive, massive challenge. Yeah. You have to really want to do it.
1: What are your favorite memories associated with Iron Crown Enterprise products?
5: Joe.
2: Oh, man. So I have this because you sent me some of these questions. And so I've been thinking about this. And I have this image in my head, the cover of one of the books of this badass undead, grave knight looking dude with these creepy undead eyes with this rad red cloak and so I I was I wanted to find that image before this interview so I scrambled around and I found it it's on the cover of one of their adventures that they release called rogues of the borderlands (laughs) I wonder where they got that title from (laughs) Uh, but that cover is it's it's been etched in my memory since I was 12 years old. And I don't remember much from back then anymore, man. <laughs> but that image in particular has stuck with me forever. I love it. And then my other big memory of playing was we ran this really long campaign where our characters we we came across this NPC named Pallid, son of Galid, the rightful king of the Dorwinadins. And this whole campaign was us trying to get him back on the throne. And we played that game for that campaign for years. That was probably the last two, maybe three years of my gaming life before I came back to the hobby, was that campaign, trying to get Palad, son of Galad, rightful king of the door when it ends back onto the throne. And now I'm just so tickled pink that his name will be forever immemorialized on your show, man.
4: Barry. I think my, my top favorite one probably comes from um, running Merp the first time, building the characters with the players was a lot of fun. There was really the sense of, you know, fortunately we didn't try and do the classic thing of building the Lord of the Rings characters themselves. We actually built characters inspired from it, but there was a real fun about, you know, when you're building those like weapon skills and some of the other skills and the equipment. I don't know, it was just a real sense with us all that we're kind of really going on this journey. Although we'd played and I think a lot of us played it with this kind of vision of Lord of the Rings, you know, the Hobbit in our head, but because the setting's very different. I expect a lot due to do the copyright issues. You know, it wasn't quite the same. And the actual time, this is a time when we could really actually play in that world with those languages, with those races as they're meant to be from a Tolkien aspect. And so, again, it might be nostalgia, the system but, you know, might be the best for running any sort of role-playing game, but because it, it was the first time we'd really played a game where it was truly set that way. And I mean, you can run d in that way, for example, but because that was the game, that was a real setting. And the box set, ooh, I can't remember what edition it was, now it came with a, a again, a pre-generated, um, Adventure Call, Loons of the Long Longfells. And so we played that one and it was actually just really good fun playing that session. And so we did a few sessions in later years, but that's one of my key memories. I always think really fondly back to Merp, um, back to that days, and that really kind of captured that sense of playing a like Tolkien's world, essentially. I think after that, it would be actually my first DMing session, which was... Uh, the role master of Shadow World. It's probably worth saying as well that's the first time it ever GM'd anything. So, for any system to jump into as your first ever GM experience, probably wasn't the best choice. But at the end of the day, I really loved it. Um, if you play the islands of the Oracle, there's like these sort of um, like reptile men characters in that sort of island chain that's there there's a peninsula a peninsula, an atoll that you're in and I started doing this really bad dodgy sort of lizard man voice I won't try and do it now but it almost destroyed my voice by the end of the session but I really enjoyed it really got into it the players were really just kind of really engaging with it and so again that could have had the that could have had the potential to be a totally devastating session because it was a really complicated system first time I'd done it it could have gone really badly but it was all a really good sense of fun around the table we really kind of enjoyed it and you know I don't think we ever finished the, the whole way through all the adventure chain but you know we actually had a good fun well we played it and so that really kind of helped give me confidence i guess as a gm and it's one of those things where i don't think i shy away from complex systems anymore (laughs) if you throw yourself at the deep end anything else after that is not quite so bad in a way you know maybe some exceptions but yeah so i guess they're my two main memories around them
5: okay
6: i the strong one is the one i always talk about is goriel swiftfoot and the balrog i'll I'll tell you the 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 brief outline of the story we were playing 24-hour role play for charity which honestly it sounds really philanthropic, but really what it was is we wanted to play all weekend and we needed an excuse to play all weekend. And the school was doing this sort of like charitable events. for I can't even remember what a charity was. I, you know, that's how... I think it might have been Bernardo's or something like that. You know, like the... Kids' charity. I think that actually now I think about it as probably what it was. But, it, you know, and they were doing the elective and they sort of said, you know, everyone do some kind of sponsored event. So the game is, we went, yeah, let's do a role play. And so we got, and we managed to persuade my mate Tim, I think it was parents. No, it was Duncan's. Yeah, Duncan's parents that we could go around his house and play all day Saturday, all the way through the night into Sunday. And we played his 24 hour role play. And I think it was like roughly about sort of 11 in the morning till about 11 in the morning, all the way through the night. And all I remember doing is drinking. It's far too much coke and eating all sorts of rubbish. But we went through Moria, and that was the that was the adventure. And Gav was running it, and uh, you know we we were by this point pretty pretty slick actually with with Rollmaster. So it was a really good game. And um, yeah, we ultimately got to the bridge Kaz Doom and the Balrog shows up, and uh, Goriel Swiftfoot is a Hobbit. I say I can say it. He's a Hobbit, you know, and he's a thief, burglar. And um, he's got a short sword and a short bow, and he's he's a hobbit and he's short. But we didn't obviously play the rules properly because I I have consequently discovered that this next thing is impossible in Rollmaster if you play by the rules. But Gorial, um this sixty foot Balrog, G- Goriel managed to de- decapitate it with a critical hit or uh, with his short sword, which was the one fifty. Which you know, if you have got a. Uh, cutting critical slashing critical with a with a blade you know you could decapitate your opponent so that's what he did with the balrog and you know what yeah we know that that's silly and we knew it at the time it was silly and mad, but it was just so much fun. I mean, I remember us basically rolling around laughing for about 10 minutes after that had happened in the game. You know, it's, it's one of the most memorable events in my entire role-playing background. And we kind of knew it was wrong, but we didn't care. It was funny, you know, and it kind of went went that way. And, you yeah, know, Goriel, the Balrog Slayer, you know, it was just hilarious. His hobbit went on to die shortly afterwards, being mobbed by goblins. But, um you know, really, really memorable characters. So much so that every time I I sit down to create a character in any game, I create Gorill I It's always a halfling thief that I create first. And just to see, and I think what I'm doing is I'm kind of like, just to see how that will compare, you know. I could probably construct his stats from memory. You know, he's he's that vivid. You know, I, I know that, you know, he was just... A really, really important character to me. But you know, a couple of other little tales. I remember, um, you know, we had uh, run-ins with the elves, and I remember, um, you know, talking about the mentalism and stuff like that. We you know we we let, brought all the rules steadily into Middle Earth when we shouldn't have done. And I remember, like, you know, the the whole Star Wars reference thing still comes along. So I remember this character kind of, you know, doing the whole Jedi mind trick on the elves and getting letting them getting them to let us into Lothlórien mm-hmm. and stuff. And I also remember very vividly going to the Necromancer's lair um, and us uh, storming that to discover that, you know, the Necromancer wasn't hanging around. But I had great fun with ring wraiths and also various other nasty things that were there. I remember the modules more than anything. I remember, like, going to Gondor and going to you know, Minus Tirith and all these other uh, iconic places. Shelob's lair, you know, been through there. Yeah, done that. You know. Got the egg sack to prove it.
7: Rob, uh, my memories are are clouded by about ten thousand White Russians, so sorry. Shandy, Andy,
3: definitely Fixton the Bard. I used to enjoy doing. When <laughs> I want to say poetry, it was terrible. It was absolutely appalling. You know, as I found out, you know, he used to write it all up, and we used to. I used to email it out a week later to the guys, so they'd all got a summary of the session as it had happened from uh, Fixton's, uh, you know, point of view, and it always was cause to you know it was great when we got together again because everyone had then complained that their character had been somehow pushed to the side and it wasn't Thinkston who had actually saved the day and done everything but that type of banter you know for me sort of makes role-playing sessions and it was always good fun so so I, I definitely think that added to it and I think it came at the right time um, you know where, where email it was in the mid-90s when email became a thing so In some ways, it happened at the right time that we could email out this stuff. There was none of this downloading from bulletin boards that you had to do if you wanted to share notes before, you know, on a 2400 modem, everyone had to remember to do it. You know, maybe the notes hadn't been put up when you logged in, you know. So email sort of transformed, I think, a lot of that keeping in touch and everything. And as I say, I can remember Eric, Rayburn and Butch were the three other characters in the party. I don't think, apart from the room quest I played in, the mid eighties of any other party. I can remember the characters now, you know, all these years later that we in a party. So I, I think that's what Rollmaster gave me. It was just that little um, bit in time where we all sort of came together and I've got those memories, you know, cause I got together with the guys two years ago and talk got round, to, Can you remember this and that? And somebody mentioned, can you remember Finkston and his terrible poetry? And two of the guys, remembered separate lines from the poem. You know, one of the poems that I did um, called The Goblin Caves. And the fact that they could remember that 25 years later, you know, tells you something, you know. And again, it was appalling poetry. I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying it was good or anything, but it was memorable, which I think is the important
0: thing. on. Um Let's see, my favourite Role Master memory. I thought it's a real long time ago. It'll have to be, it's probably like a Role Master in Middle-earth memory and it would have to be my friend's character this is i've actually mentioned him in my podcast so his character is called gil when i actually used that name for to to talk about him but his character was just mega powered noldor an elf and you know the elves are just overpowered you know and we're playing in the first age in the second age of middle earth so it's just way what the gates it's just open the, the setting is very much open because the Silmarillion or Unfinished Tales don't really go into a lot of detail. So you can just add in extra characters. You can twist the stories a bit. So yeah, just him start, uh, fighting alongside lots of uh, major characters, you know, from the Silmarillion, Killer uh, and Galadriel and characters like this fighting Balrogs or <laughs> fighting Nazgul and Krakens. you know, killing, killing Balrogs, you know. Uh, which is something that does happen in the Silmarillion. You know, the the older elves are; they can, the powerful ones can stand toe to toe with the Balrogs and um, maybe kill more than one of them, more than one Balrog. They were like that powerful, you know. Whereas in the Lord of the Rings, the Balrog is pretty much undefeatable. Uh, you have to sacrifice Gal- <laughs> one of uh, Gandalf's lives to 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 mm-hmm. accomplish that. So that that's what Rollmaster does. And the, the the memories of raw masses that you could run way overpowered games easily, and, and they could still be there'd be a lot of number crunching, but they could still be they could it could still I think the system worked still at higher levels, lower levels or higher levels, the system didn't fall apart because of the the way the numbers worked out, the way you'd have it just equaled out. Um, you could have a Balrog that's a level two hundred Balrog. There's nothing stopping you doing that. There's nothing stopping you having a level 1,000 character. The limit is is how much number crunching you want to do. And that's not something you could do in D&D or AD&D.
1: Is there anything else you would like to say about Iron Crown Enterprise products? Joe?
2: Yeah, I mean, someone should run it. <laughs> someone should run Role Master, and I, I want to play it uh making a character would be awesome i don't know if that's if there's a character sheet for it on roll 20 but there might be and i just it's i have such fond memories of it i can't i can't promise that it holds up i haven't played it in about 30 years so who knows but give it a shot iron crown entertainment is still out there They've lost the rights to Merp, but support them. They, they've just—they seem like a cool. Co- I don't know anything about the company, but they made one of my favorite games as a kid. So hopefully they're awesome. Yeah, play the game, read the books. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a dope system. Very.
4: The main thing I'd say about Rollmaster, and I say this about a lot of the systems, is don't don't be put off by the complexity. A lot of people see complex systems and they think, oh, it's too complicated. But when you break it down. A lot of the rules go to very core concepts. So, you know, to, to focus on Rollmaster, master, it's like, it is a percentile system. So it really is kind of like, you know, you roll your at the end of the day, you work out your modifiers, but you roll a percentile dice. You're just trying to get into that number. And there's a few foibles around open-ended rules and that, open ended roles, but it's not really massively complicated and. Pick the bits you need. It's like, you know, like with any rule book, there's all myriad of rules and modifiers, but don't overwhelm yourself if you're running it for the first time. Streamline those things. Don't use everything. You know, speak to players about it beforehand because some people might have played it before. They might like all the different things, but it's really kind of pick what you want to include and what you want to use to keep the game running as fast as you want to, but kind of, you know, not overwhelm yourself with the rules. And I think, as I said before, if you've got physical copies of the book, and I would kind of recommend that with Rollmaster, to be honest, that if you can get them, um, is to tab it. If you've got PDFs as well, it's about bookmarking those pages. If you know the page numbers, you can jump straight to pages a lot with the PDF readers and things these days. So it's about being able to jump to where you need to jump to to get that information. Because what would slow the game down is if you keep having referred refer to it again. If you've got a facility to print stuff, I'd have checked copyright in it, but usually you can for your own use. Again, it's printing out those tables. If you know you're going to use tables, you know, get those pages printed out ready to hand, and that will just save you time because you know once you've got those numbers front of you, they roll the dice you just read it off it becomes a lot quicker it's a lot faster than you'd really expect it's just kind of that little bit of prep work beforehand it's one of those things about if you plan it not plan it prep it i guess beforehand enough then you can make the system run a lot more smoothly for yourself but it isn't the simplest system it isn't you know the easiest one to get into the first time but you know just say don't be don't be put off by it don't don't shy away just because it seems complicated at the end of the day just give it a go and try and have fun with it really okay
6: i think for all master it's just one of those that is so underrated and i think so vilified for all the wrong reasons yeah yeah there are simpler games out there um but i'm not i'm not entirely confused i see there's this thing about simple and simplistic and i think sometimes we do head down into the the burrows of things being just so broad that you know they sort of lose the flavor one of the things that rollmasters rich for and what i'm using it for right now i mean i'm you know, I wouldn't say I would rush to play Rollmaster. Um, I wouldn't say no to playing Rollmaster. I enjoy it as a game; it's a great game. But you know, there are other games that I enjoy possibly more now. You know, I think you know Mythras, for example, is a better D100 game than. You know, I think RuneQuest Granthor is a better D100 game. But of course, these are games that have come out in the last ten years and are you know got a heck of a lot more behind them Rollmaster is their progenitor and um still stands on its own i think the thing i would take from master is its richness i would go i would suggest that anybody would would be worth your while digging through and like pull out that herbs chart for starters and import it to your game and you know work out what those herbs do in your game because adding that to our world made things just richer you know, and it meant no, I didn't have to have a magic shop with potions. Actually, you know, your ranger could go out and find you know, that herb and this herb and do some concoction and sort your party out, which was always great. And I've, I just thought that was always good richness. It depends what you want from your game, I suppose. I think a lot of players these days aren't bothered about the worlds, actually. You know, they're not that bothered. Um, they, They're kind of, the world is just a backdrop to the action. You know, if you've got a strong narrative... Go in, you know, the world is is just backdrop to that narrative a lot of the time. And I think if you're um you know that sort of step-on-up player who just wants to sort of beat dragons up and go around looting lairs and all that sort of stuff, again, the world is just a thinly painted backdrop, isn't it? Rollmaster taught me how to value the world, uh, you know, and um even if you're not gonna go deep diving into the world in some kind of you know super crazed. And, you know, realism dive or whatever, it still adds a lot to your game if you, you know, know about little stuff. And Wellmaster gave us little stuff like the herbs and the animals and the, you know, and, the other thing i would say go check out is the spell list because the thing we haven't talked about my favorite mechanic in the whole game isn't actually the critical tables that's my second favorite my favorite is the spell list the spell list is you know um where you have a, a collection of related spells where the lowest level spells have to be mastered before the higher level ones can be used um so most memorably, if you are a wizard and you Um, you take fire law as LAW fire law as your spell list you know you can eventually get to have things like fireballs yeah but you're gonna have to learn to do silly stuff like light a fire first you know (laughs) with little spells and what i liked is that that was all built on it like you had the the spells you knew were the ones you had ranks in so if you only had one rank in fire law you only knew level one spell you know if you had three ranks in fire law you knew all the spells up to level three and if you have 25 ranks you know all the first 25 spells and the spells got to level 50 well they go from one to 20 and then there's 25 30 and 50 so there are around about what, 23 24 spells in every spell list and there are dozens and dozens of spell lists to pick from and um that whole system of magic again hugely influenced the way i think about magic in gaming it kind of systematized it in a nice way but it also still made it kind of wondrous you know you weren't when, when you started playing you didn't really know what lists other magic users and npcs had so you know, you you sort of have to be careful. And it wasn't like, you know, just because I'm a level X wizard, I can cast these things. It actually was about how much investment you put into learning those spells. So, you know, I remember playing a wizard character who had not that many spell ranks. He didn't do a lot of magic because I decided he wanted him to make him quite good with his staff first. You know, my low-level character was alright in combat you know you could get in there and lump it with the the party but as he went up levels he started to like improve his magic quite dramatically and I remember that really you know changing the, the way I played and it was exciting and interesting but again it was customised it was very much about I could make my character more the way I wanted it to be not just this kind of you know vanilla Fighter. I mean, this is the thing to say, isn't it? This is the last thing to say on this. Really, is that if you're playing a fighter in in d and D, you know what do you got? You got you know slightly more hit points than everybody else. Right. If you're playing a fighter in World Master, what you got, you got a choice of different weapon skills you can be invested in. You've got like different armor that you can wear and you can be skilled in that armor. You've got like all sorts of other skills you can do, you know, you can be stealthy and you can, you know, do all the other things, climbing and all that other stuff you got, you can do that as well as a thief. You just can't do it. As, you can't learn it as easily as a thief can, but you can do all those things as well as a thief if you train in it. And so actually your character is this sort of rounded being, not just, you know, I'm a fighter and I've got you know, five hit points. You've got to go back to 1985 to understand, I think, how dramatically different those two games were, you know. And um world Master is this richness that invites you to sort of go into the fantasy world, get immersed in that world a little bit more in a way that, I don't know, I still don't think people appreciate. So, yeah, uh, War Master was a doorway to more fantasy, I guess, for me. Love it.
7: Rob. I thought the setting material for the Middle Earth products were great. The maps were outstanding. Like I remember, the Umbar setting had all these really cool castles, uh, floor plans, and stuff. They were usually really long on on the lore and you know different herbs and stuff of the re- region and stuff, but really short on scenario ideas and what to do with it. Uh, and then the spell law. We I didn't talk about the spells, but I loved how they had the different essence and channeling and mentalism and a really involved kind of magic system that you can sink your teeth into. I like the PowerPoints a lot more than Vancey and spell casting and, um, and having these different lists that each uh, caster has access to, but then there's, so there's open lists that like non casters can access, but only like the, the real spellcasters can access the closed list, and then specialized lists for each of the specific spellcasting classes made them all feel very unique. Shandy, Andy,
3: I, I think we've covered it mainly. I mean, the only thing I'll say is, despite the fact that I, I, I appear to be running it down a bit, I liked it. I thought it was a good system. I, it, you know, it, it had its strong point. You had to play to the to its strong points. You know, I quite like the the fact that the, the combat could take quite a while to get around to you, you know, and I'm at, but I paid that to my advantage by writing the little bits of, you know, up. So, and it's still, you know, I've got the box set. The box is coming apart a little bit, but for the amount of, you know, compared with my BX ones, which are longer, you know, gone in the bin, I'm still keeping all my stuff in the box set. So it was pretty well sturdy, you know, um, product, I think, definitely.
0: Manny I was surprised to hear the ICE had collapsed. And sad to hear that. But it had come back. It had been revived. Um, I was also really sad to hear that they permanently lost control of uh, Middle Earth uh, licensing for that. It's very exciting to see that it's the company is still there and that Role Master is still a thing. But I don't know. and I have lots of fond memories of it. Even though if, if I can't really recall anything really solid. But um, could I still play that game? Do I have the time? Because I... I Playing Pathfinder, I really uh, appreciate the the depth of Pathfinder, the, the way Pathfinder handles lots of rules. But I'm just I don't want to play it. I don't want to play it. I don't I don't want to have to keep on looking and what new feet do I have, and how many skill ranks do I have to put uh, a lot. Um, however, I don't know if Pathfinder and role Master, although the role uh, Pathfinder seems to sort of echo some of role Master's skills and things. I don't know if that's a fair comparison. I think Rollmaster is there's not you don't have the feats there. I mean, once you've got the character sheet sorted out, it's all very much straightforward as long as you don't mind looking at tables. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm more a rules light person these days, but I do have massive levels of um, <laughs> of uh, appreciation for ICE and the kind of game. And games and and uh, accessories, you know, support that they they rolled out in the in the days. And I'm I'm curious about what they're doing now and whether it's a viable option for for people of our age, yeah, and our time, um, limited time, <laughs> yeah. So th- hopefully that answers that question to some degree.
1: So so you're gonna talk to your group about picking up arms, login and.
7: Incorporating your BX game,
4: <laughs> that would
7: probably last one or two sessions, and yeah. then they'd they'd all be dead. And uh, well, who knows? The way the dice roll, maybe they'd uh, be like dropping crits on all their opponents and stuff. Yeah, and, uh, they'd love it. I don't. Know. But eventually, it's going to bite you. All those specific in- in- injuries and crits, they eventually catch up with the players.
1: Who's on the phone, who's on the phone, who's on the phone, who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about by your spouse, but
3: the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box, what's in the box,
1: what's in the box, what's in the box? audience was
2: pretty sure he
4: took a pretty head And the only question left is if I don't see him dead Bring on the gold, bring on the gold I want some more, bring on the gold Well your butcher is a dustman and your mollet by the And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the woods Don't look
1: away are rising, and the world has gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck!
0: Hey, hey, hey.